Fuel, the podcast for fixing underperformance and evolving leadership within the automotive industry. Fuel is bringing you the latest in proven strategies and techniques that can take your service department to the next level. Welcome back to the Fuel Podcast. Um, I've got an exciting episode for us today. We're coming to you from the 2024 Coaching Summit with Dynatron. We've got a lot of topics that we went over today. I've got a nice little crew in front of me here. Gentlemen, if you would just kind of tell me a little bit about yourself. You give me your name, years in the business a little bit. Can I walk around the table? Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Trevor Shannon here with Dynatron. 20 plus years in the automotive business, um, retail, obviously, and dealership. Joined Dynatron about three years ago, almost three years ago now as a uh, coach, and uh, recently in the last year moved over to the uh, product team. Hey, what's up, Alex? Daryl Gear with <laughs> Dynatron Software. I'm the Stay Smart team lead uh, with the Dynatron Software team, um, client success team. I started on the Start Smart team as a Start Smart coach, uh, transitioned to a Stay Smart coach, and uh, now I'm the team lead. Uh, about 15 years in the automotive business. 20 years in the automotive business. They're going to have to edit that out. <laughs> but, we might uh, keep it. It sounds a little, just it sounds like an automotive guy. Hell, I don't know how long I've been in this. <laughs> Too long. Too long. Uh, Jim Arnold, uh, Senior Training Specialist with Dynatron. Um, been in this field of business, my goodness, for uh, 44 years now. 44 years. Done everything from sweeping floors in the shop to general manager. So been there, done it all. Oh, fantastic. Last but not least, Cameron Stewart. I'm senior training specialist. Uh, been on my th- I'm on my third year with Dynatron as a senior training specialist. A uh, <clears throat> little old guy in the group. 52 years in the business. Started 1971 at a Datsun store. So nice. A lot of history. Nice. A lot of age on one side of the table. I like how this goes. <laughs> so, I mean, one of the topics that we went over, you know, we recapped all of 2023, some of the great progressions we had within the company, but then overall in the automotive industry, a lot of the gains that we saw with technological investments, you know, what we're doing, some of the training and the concepts that we're bringing to the table. So the biggest thing, you know, as far as listeners kind of want to jump into would be what are the, the ideas of trends within automotive industry some of the trends we saw in 2023 there was a bunch of questions asked you know from customers in the industry you know how do i handle this so what are some of the things that we saw and then as we roll into 2024 what are going to be some of the trends that we want to bring up in those conversations or i would even say some solutions that we have to some of those conversations as far as problems or you know what would feel like we're doing pretty good but how do i take that to the next level wants to jump in first well i'll go ahead and start this is cameron um, we get a lot of questions about what are we going to do with the electric car and you know people aren't set for that and when we talk about diagnosing problems on them and things like that and in this last six months it's really kind of taken a turn it's not you know forward to stop production on some of the electric cars and you know they're back east this week you can't charge one because it's so cold back there that they won't charge so I think it's making people think a lot about that, and I don't think we're ready for the, you know, 2030, let's everybody go with electric cars. So I think it's going to open a lot of discussions, a lot of training, and and have us just focus on the gasoline products that we have and how we're going to build our business that way. Yeah. Jim, are you kind of seeing that in some of your conversations you're having, too? most most definitely. I'll tell you another thing I'm seeing is uh, senior technicians, you know, that's got some years in the experience, especially if they're close to retirement, they're just saying they're not going to work on these EVs, so they'll retire first. 
But uh, like Cameron said, I mean, the industry is kind of having second thoughts about it now. Uh, Toyota is pushing big time for alternative fuel and uh, hydrogen and all kinds of different um, options uh, over the strictly straight electrical vehicles. So, yeah. So, I mean, from, from a coaching standpoint, Daryl, I mean, you're you're one of the team leads for the Stay Smart guys, and those are the guys that really get into it, you know, moving forward in the training and moving forward in, in everything. Are there any conversations coming up relating to EV? Are there conversations talking about pay structures, how you set this up, technician training? What, what are we kind of doing on the coaching side or, or in your conversations talking about EV world? Well, I think a concern out there with clients that I that I hear is going to be loss of services that you sell. You know, on an EV vehicle, you're not going to have your, you know, all your typical fluid exchanges and, you know, some of these things that um, – you would have on a gasoline engine that you know you're not going to be able to do so there's going to be some loss of revenue there which i think is causing uh dealerships and leaders and, and things like that to start looking at other ways that they can create revenue um and that's that's what we're here to to kind of help them help them see the light at the end of that tunnel yeah you know trevor from kind of like a product standpoint you know do we have we have anything coming down the line or do, or do you recommend anything for for dealerships to start looking into as they start to to process more of these ev vehicles or have to change their mindset yeah, I think one of the big, big problems we're going to have is technicians, you know, who's who's going to work on these cars and how are we going to afford, you know, to pay them to work on these cars? So, I mean, that's uh, something we need to start thinking about now. Um, you know, I think a lot of our younger technicians are tech savvy, which is going to be a good thing and play into that. But, you know, these these are kids that are going to want all the money as well. So we, we got to be conscious and, you know, really evaluate that and how, how are we going to tackle that? Well, from an equipment point of view, too, you know, the current, I worked with Nissan dealers for years, and their car that you have, you got to have a little uh, area that's cordoned off around it. You put up a little area, you have a rubber mat, and the last special tool for that is a stick with a hook on it. So if they <laughs> get to pull electrocuted, them away. you yeah, can pull them off way. and you can yeah. knock it off. And when I worked for Honda in the EV program, and I also worked for Mercedes, and they had a, a hydrogen car, so I've seen a lot of this alternate fuel early on. With the EV from Honda, it came out, uh, and the first time my master technician said, hey, come out and look at this, boss. I walked out, and when he opened the hood, there was a yellow sticker under the hood that said, death may occur. <laughs> and I said, I don't know who's going to want to work on something that they don't. They realize you could be killed by working on that car if you're not careful with it. And it's just one of those things that people are going to consider. Like he said, the older guys are going to go, I'm not touching them. Yeah, I mean, it's something that that's, we can all agree. I mean, anything can happen in the shop, you know, with, with it, it causing injury or possibly causing death. But seeing it on a yellow sticker, saying it right to your face, I think yeah, that kind of right. puts a different tone it on it. Real. It makes it very real. And so, you know, I think what Trevor was talking about, you know, we got to start having those conversations about technicians like right now. Yes. And so, you know, I had a good podcast with a gentleman named James Freely, and he was talking about how he organically grows all yes. of his technicians. Everybody starts off as a porter. So, as far as if we're going to go down that path, we know EV's coming. We know the manufacturer's going to push it on people. We know that the, the whole culture is going to have to change about how we approach this. Like, what are some takeaways? Like, what's something, if you're still in the manager role, right? We talk to those people. We consult with those people. And we help them out with data and things of that nature. But if we're in a manager role, Daryl, what we say would be like the first step? If like you're going to start talking to your team and your technicians about this EV world. Like you say, these guys aren't going to want the older technicians, your older generation of technicians are going to walk away before they want to work on these cars, I feel like. And the younger generation, um, as Trevor pointed out, I mean, they're, they're very tech savvy. So, I mean, I, I really think the first step is starting to grow your techs now. I mean, you, I remember as a manager expecting 
are, are wishing that this perfect technician would just walk into my office and say that I want a job, you know, and he, he had all the requirements and all the, you know, all the certificates and everything that you would expect him to have, but that just doesn't happen. So you're sitting now, you're sitting out there losing gross if you don't grow your people, um, and especially as we start to come up on this EV, I mean, you almost have to start growing them that direction. Yeah. Jim, I see you getting yes. a little animated over hey, there. <laughs> I, I tell you, here, here's the thing, and it's not just the EV technicians, but a lot of my dealers are telling me that their uh, their attrition rate on their senior techs that are retiring is way greater than the young people coming up. Yeah. So replacing them is, is going to be a challenge, and it's not something that we're going to solve very quickly. It's, it's going to be an ongoing thing and um, very daunting. So, you mean, do you feel like that's something you're going to work into the workshop, you know, oh, as yeah. talking to our clients that come in and they get to go to this workshop, yes. you know, is it something you're going to start working in is, is like, how are you going to start addressing this? What is your action plan and how are you going to start building this? Like Daryl said it and, and Shannon alluded to, you got a lot of young people out there, but there, there's not a lot of young people coming in right now. Well, and currently what we find out is one of the exercises we do is we, we take a look at uh, their number one report and we say, so how much competitive do you have how much maintenance how much repair so you get somebody who's got a 20 person technician group and they've got 15 percent repair then i ask that next question which is how many master techs do you have well i have five well you'd need with 10 percent of the repair you need 25 percent to keep those people busy if they're mm. 25 or 30 percent of your staff so there may not be that shortage but the older people that you're going to maintain aren't going to want to work on the electric cars so we're currently in that situation where they've got uh, 10 technicians, but really five are qualified and older and they're there, but we don't have half the work that they need to make at $45 an hour to make it sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's like one of those things where you got to change your mindset. You got to become a little bit of an electrician here. Yeah, that's <laughs> you right. Be able to troubleshoot a little bit better in that. Or get more repair, which is really what we preach in the, mm -hmm. in that class is you want to get you to 35 or 40% repair because that's where gridded labor comes in and things like that, where you can afford to pay a $50 an hour technician at a Ford store for diesel. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, that kind of brings it interesting, too. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, Trevor, what would you say if, if it's 2030 is when, we're, is when they're looking to roll this out, right? 2030 is when they're going to do it. How important is, A, the customer base we have now to build that gross, you know, and then after 2030, the people that are still, you know, can't afford some of these vehicles, but that, you know, are still having to hang on to some of the older stuff or, or you know, even – just have it to have it type mentality. How important would it be to focus more on opportunity of sales to those vehicles? You got me. I got you. <laughs> we'll jump into that. I mean, anybody jump in on that one? I mean, I don't think I don't think we can predict right now with the current way the world is turning that that you're going to have a 2030 march on that. I don't think that's realistic. I think it's going to be something that's going to be. 20 or 30 years down the line with a better battery and everything else. And the, and the thing about the electric vehicle that people don't realize is the carbon footprint on that is you know, thousands of years to get rid of that lithium battery. It's, it's almost as bad as nuclear waste. Yeah. So also, it's, well, not, it's not clean energy, and it takes to charge that. You've got to burn coal yeah. in a power plant to make it work. So yeah. it's not, you know, it may work in California where I live because Tesla's based there and they put in all the charging stations. Yeah. It certainly doesn't work this week in 20 below where there's 18 or 20 Tesla's stuck in a lot that can't charge. That's right. Cold. Well, and not only that, but it takes 300 kilowatts an hour to charge a vehicle. It only takes eight watts an hour to run your household. Yeah. So, I mean, and they're asking the, the power companies to support a grid to do that. It's, it's well, yeah, out of yeah, the question. The vehicles that, that they're mining the, the materials, yeah. 
those aren't going electric. Oh yeah, you know, no, there's no, no, there's no. Down right now, they're coming from China. Yeah, I mean, ninety percent of those special metals, and we can't rely on that to be the case. So. Yeah, so I mean, it's one of those things where it is going to change, but I don't, I don't really see it changing. I, I definitely agree with Cameron. Where it's going to be a lot further off than mm-hmm. what they're thinking. I, um, with Hertz recently saying, "Hey, we're selling all of our electric vehicles," <laughs> you know, from a cost of ownership standpoint, I think that's really going to open up a lot of people's eyes that. These cars aren't as cost effective as everybody's been led to believe. You know, otherwise, you know, as a company, if it's profitable, they're gonna they're gonna oh, yes. stay in it. And they've recently made the decision that they are parting ways with all their electric vehicles. So I think that's gonna have a pretty big impact on how fast all this happens. Well, last year in California, we had a heat wave, and uh, they actually told you you had to turn off and control your electricity to, to use the air conditioners in your house. How are you gonna support? all the electric vehicles if it was 100% out there when you can't run your air conditioner because we don't have the power. Yeah, yeah, you can't charge it if I can't run my air conditioner. Yeah, I'd rather take <laughs> yeah. the air conditioner than an easy car that's electric. <laughs> I mean, so again, it sounds like kind of another trend that we're going to be going into on 2024 is a lot of it's going to be training. A lot of it's going to be talking to technicians, working with technicians and building those, but where do we see advisors coming into play with this as far as the training? I mean, Any I think thoughts? you're going to have training in all areas. Um, I mean, not just... In the EV aspect, but, I mean, training in all areas of your fixed ops department between technicians and visors and, you know, even your management level. I mean, you have that older technician that don't want to work on the EVs, and it's like, oh, next man up, you're my service manager now, and he comes in and doesn't know what effective labor rate is. So, I mean, yeah, that's exactly. a, a little bit different route than, like, the EV conversation we're having. But, I mean, it's – I think he, as we grow into 2024 and 2025, the, the knowledge in fixed operations is getting less and less and less. Um so, I mean, training is going to be a big deal. Well, and as Daryl said earlier, too, the, the compensation is going to change because you don't have all the fluids to change then. Mm-hmm. How are you going to compensate a service advisor if you bring an electric car in for a charge? They're not going to make any money on that sort of a thing, and you have to earn a living. So it may be a, you know, a change in the paradigm of what we actually need in a shop in the future. We don't know. Yeah, it's, going to make it, it's definitely going to make an impact. You know? What are some of the trends that we're seeing that some of the stuff you guys are talking about out there? Text. Text. I mean, everybody has struggles with text. Recruiting, retaining, uh, in, in the industry, technicians are becoming quite uh, brazen. Uh, I mean, they're coming in demanding guarantees. Uh, I mean, it's it's holding you over a barrel. And I mean, this is something that we haven't experienced in quite some time, and it's very prevalent in the industry now. Text coming in and just you know expecting the moon. And uh, not really wanting to make the commitment and produce production for it. Okay, I know I'm only the producer. Can I say a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, one of the things I've noticed about this is the mindset, and the mindset is that old dog mindset. Like, hey, technicians are, um, you know, like anybody else in the dealership, but they're not. They're not like anybody else in the dealership. If I went into a tech company right now and I wanted a developer, I would be paying a crap ton of money for that developer. Mm-hmm. And the same is true with a technician. Like technicians are worth their weight in gold. And so I think dealers are going to need to start ponying up sign-on bonuses. They're going to need to start thinking about relocation. Yes. Because if you want a, a qualified technician at a master level, especially on the high line, yes. 
you're going to have to pay for it. That's yeah. just all there is to it. Absolutely. Hey, and, and other benefits, you know, work days. You know, uh, yeah. we've had a lot of, in my local area, you know, still buddies with a lot of people in the dealerships. And a lot of technicians are moving around to not work Saturdays or maybe work, you know, four 10-hour days. And, you know, I think think that's going to be, you know, a big impact as well. You know, not just what we're going to have to pay them, but all the other benefits that go along with it. Let me tell you what uh, one of the big Ford stores in my market is doing to retain and attract technicians, uh, converting his entire shop to a climate-controlled air-conditioned shop. Yeah. And that is huge because, I mean, he said that he's had techs come to a very nice master, senior master's, and they said, no, not, no, I won't, I won't work in a non-air-conditioned shop. And he's he, that's what he's doing. I mean, Tool he's allowance. making the investment. Tool allowance is another big Tool thing. Tool allowance. You know, especially with the electric vehicles. You know, and a lot of those are specialty tools oh, sure. that, you know, the dealer's going to end up, you know, absorbing the cost for. Oh, so, yes. you know, you're really going to have to think about, you know, we're, it's obviously going to have to be another pricing structure, you know, similar mm-hmm. to like a lot of stores do for diesels. You know, is it... Is it run into a situation where technicians are paid different rates mattering on what they're working on? You know, yes. there's there's all kinds of things that I think we, you know, as an industry really started got, you know, really got to start thinking about for sure. Another thing that, uh, that service management general managers especially uh, needs to start thinking about is uh, growing these techs and, and sponsoring them with mm-hmm. asset programs. There's a lot of collegiate level uh, training out there that, uh, you know, I've had a lot of success. You, you, you sponsor the kid, you give him a scholarship. Uh, you know, of course, make that, you know, based on, you know, tenure and everything of, of working for you. But, you know, you give him a tool allowance, you pay for his education. You go into a high school VOTEC program, and if you could get an open house where you got a parent there and you explain all of the opportunities mm-hmm. with mom or dad there, and I guarantee you your success rate is going to be quadrupled compared to just talking to the kid that's, you know, just, just trying to blow off high school and go through a VOTEC <laughs> program. Right. What's, yeah, it's pretty impressive. I mean, even around my, my local area, they've gotten back into the automotive trade as far as, you know, doing college classes and walking them through the process, you know, and the safety processes and measures, but how to look for stuff and how to mm-hmm. recommend stuff and how to diagnose stuff. Mm-hmm. I always made a kind of a little bit of a joke when it came to technicians. I said, it, it's going to be interesting. I know somebody's going to end up doing it, but somebody's going to end up becoming like, a, like an agent for sports and they're yeah, going to be an yeah. agent on, on, the, yeah. on behalf of the well, technicians. they've got as much marketability. Yeah, I'm telling you. There, there's a lot of companies out there getting into that you know tech recruitment for dealerships it's almost like yeah yeah, you don't talk to them you talk to us and we'll come up with a deal and they'll show up on monday yeah (laughs) i ran a large mercedes store and we we used to team up with wyotech and uti and we would go out and we would interview four times a year we'd go out to kids that were graduating they'd spend on an average about thirty two thousand dollars to get through the uti nine-month program and and then the wyotech and we would go out and hire them and we would we would hire them in and they, we'd give them a toolbox so they'd work for six months. And after six months, we knew if they were going to be a good flat rate technician. But they knew all the basics. In nine months, they really had a very intensive program. I only took people who had a 90% dollar hire, which meant you couldn't have missed a day. If you missed a day, you got below 90, I wouldn't interview anybody. Yeah. So we'd hire them. And then what happened at six months, you'd decide, are they a keeper and are they going to work for me? And realizing that six months, I'd already done one more set of interviews and had another set of group that could come in. And then after six months, you give them the tools, you put them on flat rate because they couldn't make it if they couldn't be productive. So once they were productive, they did that. And we gave them the $1,000 worth of tools in their toolbox. And then we would start paying every month. They'd bring us their bill from, from that was $300 a month to start paying off that $36,000 loan. And we, it means we had them retained for 10 years. That's right. That's and I had, when I left there, we had five technicians that were working there. 
a couple females. One of the females became my smart technician on the little cars because she was the only one who didn't have that ego for Mercedes. (laughs) I won't touch those cars. She loved them. And it really worked out well. In that situation, you have to build your own and you have to Mm -hmm. find a way to keep them. And I had more than one that was really good that said, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get more there. And I said, listen, you can't buy the education you're getting with my certified master technicians that are there. You'll be a lot better off here and we'll take care of you as you go through. When they left, they generally came back six months later and said, can I come back into the program? That's awesome. But I never paid any more of the rent. (laughs) Once once you (laughs) left, you 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 lost that. You're gone. You're kicked out of the house. You have to think outside the box. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we, we see a lot of, like you said, a lot of turnover. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and it, it used to not be that way, no. it, or at least when I came up as a young kid through the business. I mean, there was a lot of loyalty. All the tenure was in the shop. Yeah, the tenure yes. was in the shop. There's a lot of loyalty. They had a lot of communication with ownership. The ownership, you know, was more of a family based atmosphere almost. Or at least that's how I grew up as I was. You know, my dad would been doing this before I was born. And so being a part of that environment. But I, I mean, like, old. yeah. <laughs> so, but what, like, I mean, that's my, that's probably another area. The, the, like, why did the culture change? Like, why did that loyalty start to fade away in well, the old Well, it's generational, mindset? you know. It's, yeah. it's the, the person who thinks, I don't have to work hard and you owe me this, where I worked for my dad like you worked for your dad. And when I went through that whole process, I knew exactly what I had to do. And I was a top producing technician. There was no saying, I won't do that. I don't want to do that. Show up late, leave early. And that wasn't the case that we had. In the current generation... Not everybody, and I won't put everybody into one little box because that's not fair. There are still some great young people that come through that have a work ethic like that. Most of them just are, they, they're owed that. So, you know, I don't have to work that hard because I'm, you owe it to me. Yeah. They're more of entitlement. It changed that, and yeah. it changed over the years. I mean, I started 70, in the 70s, so it changed a lot over the 80s and 90s, and I got into full-time management in 1988, and it was Pretty, pretty good at that point, but in the 90s and the 2000s, yeah, it changed. There was a paradigm shift in the way that they do things and the way people think about it and that sort of thing. And somebody who's in for a full career is in because mm-hmm. you're spending thousand to two thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean a year the training tools, and tools right? and Absolutely. everything. I mean it's an investment. I mean it's a huge investment, and that that could literally just leave at any moment. It feels like I'll figure so a ten-year so investment is twenty thousand dollars if you have a toolbox. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. easily so two thousand dollars a year. Yeah, you guys, least, yeah. do you guys see dealerships supplying tools for technicians as an incentive? That that is becoming and, a trend and making them more loyal. Right. You you hire a tech, and you know all of a sudden <laughs> he's you know used dealership tools for the last ten years. For him to go to another store, he's probably going to have to buy however many thousands of yeah. dollars in tools yeah. that have came out in the last. He's just kind of leaving it there, you know, that, that kind of that really care, staying with kinda, that. Yeah, yeah. kind of. Well, in California, where I'm from, you give him the toolbox and have him use your tools because if you don't, you got to pay him double minimum wage, which is thirty bucks an hour. It's fifteen dollars to start. Yeah. If you don't give them a toolbox and tools, and, and they can bring their own, but you give them a set, then you can pay them fifteen dollars an hour while they're learning. If not, and they bring their own little toolbox. It's double that, so it, wow. it just isn't cost effective. That's freaking. That's just nuts. California. So, that's different. Yeah, yeah that's the Golden different. State. Golden State. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. to live there. So I, I, I kind of touched on it earlier. Um, just you know, different rates for different services. What are your yes. guys' opinions? You know, I, I think as EV evolves, that's going to oh, be yes. one of the options. Well, and, and diesel, same way. You yep. know, if you're running a fleet shop, you know, you're going to charge more to the customer for diesel. One thing, because the, the the customers are totally different. You know, a, a fleet customer. 
it's not as concerned about the you know dollar amount. They're more concerned about you know how long is my truck going to be down? Yeah, you know, yeah. When am I going? Well, how you know when am I getting this thing back? Costing me money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, it came back to what Daryl said. Daryl said that you know it's going to be training on all fronts. You know, I mean, and you may get a guy who doesn't fully understand understand how to what ELR is. Mm-hmm. So like we we think Daryl, I mean, is like, do you would you recommend different pricing structure in that aspect? Uh, yeah, as far as retail pricing structures to the customer? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I think you do because you pay those techs different rates. I mean, you can hire a diesel tech, you're paying them a set rate. You have, you know, an electrical guy, a guy that's doing your engine transmissions, your EV guy. I mean, they're all making different rates. So, um, yeah, I mean, you have to have separate rates for those areas or you're setting yourself up for failure, you know, in, the, in your gross profit because you're going backwards every time you dispatch out to those guys mm-hmm. if your price isn't inflating with them, you know. So it's definitely you have to um, have different rates. And personally, I think that it's not almost even a bad idea to look at the jobs that the techs are doing and pay different rates per jobs. You know, I'm seeing a lot that's of that. That's where yeah. I was going. Yeah. Yeah. A, a variable rate for it's a technician. Seeing. It's more complicated when you do that. It, it is. To do payroll. But it's, it's, you know, if you have a good mix of what you have, you have the right repair mix and the right medium maintenance mix and the right lube mix, you can have the right technicians. And it's a lot easier to find somebody to change oil if i have 30 percent of that and i have 10 people i could get three people could do oil changes while well, the other one's doing the 40 percent of the maintenance yeah. the other one's doing the difference in what it is and that in repair uh, i had never looked into variable rates for different jobs because most technicians won't won't take a different rate to do a different job they yeah. want if you're going to hire somebody who's good yep. they're not coming in on a variable rate yeah so. What do you mean variable rate? I mean, it'd be, it's just interesting because you want to look at the, the technology. Again, it has to be tied back. You have to have data to understand, like, what kind of EV work are we seeing and what kind of hours are they being pulled in at? You know, it's not much. Not, it's not even just that, but just like the work mix. I mean, think about a technician walking into your dispatch office, you know, yeah. and this guy makes the most in your shop, and he looks down and he's like, oh, three flushes, filters. He's like, man, this thing's great. He's going to grab it. You know, he's going to grab it and go do it where he might see the Diag sitting on the desk. He might see the repair sitting on the desk, and he's like, I'm going to go grab this four-hour gravy ticket I can knock out in 30 minutes, That's you know, right. 45 minutes. And if you had set rates for those jobs, he's going to look like, nope, I want the repair. Nope, I want the repair. Nope, okay. I want the repair. And it's not like that nowadays. I mean, you can pull up a technician work mix report in EBIS and – look at the breakdown of them and it's like why is your guy that's making the most in the shop doing 70 percent maintenance yeah when it's he's 30 percent repair well it makes a big difference in your gp margin it it makes a big difference on that gp percent too i mean because one one would say at that point though that you have to have a dispatch system that gives the right job yeah you have to because you don't want you you also don't want a guy making 50 bucks an hour doing oil change exactly correct that that happens a lot when you have a 70 percent oil change competitive and they've got five master techs don't think those guys are all touching oil changes. Yeah. <laughs> but also, as a dispatcher, I I know that I could feed that gravy job into my master tech and get it done in four hours, and or you know that four hour job get him done in thirty minutes, and instead of putting it into the guy that's going to take the you know three hours maybe to do it because he's a, a lower qualified technician. Um, I don't know. I see even with a manual dispatcher. I mean, I I see that work mix problem all the time because you yeah. get buddy buddy with the guy in the shop and they're feeding their buddy and. You know, it's it, now that never happens in a real <laughs> shop. <laughs> Going back to you know making payroll complex with the variable rate, a lot of the DMSs now you can actually put different costs in for mm-hmm. different skill levels. Yeah. So, right. you know, the the guy that's you know this technician may make forty dollars an hour when it's skill A, when it's skill B, you know thirty or or what have you. So that you know you you really hold your profit where you need it where you need it to be. Yeah. See, my career is in California. 
You can't. Yeah. <laughs> totally different. Yeah. Let me tell you, it works in California. California is a premium rate, so if you have somebody doing something, they get a premium rate based on their current rate. Multiply it out. If they're not not 100% compliant, you got to pay them whatever their premium rate is on the time that they don't fly. So in that situation, yeah, you got a lot of complexity yeah, out there. For sure, out there, yeah. Yeah. and I've done payroll for you know public company. We we're a part of Group One, and it's you know they, they expect you have payroll done by ten o'clock. Yeah, first of all, no, yeah, try, all, try and do that one when you got seventy-five oh, technicians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, for it's sure. Nightmares. Just like you know, that, everybody just prepare like every day is the end yeah. of the month. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. sure. When they said, "Would you come to work for Dynatron and you don't have to work any months in?" So I went, I, I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, you know, kind of walking around the table, you know, had some really good conversations, you know, kind of rolling into EV world and talking about technicians, talking about some training, you know, talking to people and, and making sure they understand there's options. That, that's what the biggest thing I'm hearing is there's options. There's right. options to look at your business and individu- yep. individually define you know, how you want to address that, you know. And, of course, working with Dynatron, you get your coach, you know, get people from the workshop like yourselves, you know, and like Daryl with his coaches and Stay Smart that kind of help you drive down that line and individualize that program you know, for what your need is in that store, you know, regardless if you're in California or if you're in the East or, you know, or if you're in Canada, you know, whatever works there. That's right. So, yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. well, I mean, like, you know, as we kind of like just start to wrap this up just a little bit, just kind of walk around the table real quick. I mean, as, as far as, you know, what is some of the stuff that you're kind of excited about 2024? You know, as far as the automotive industry, I mean, we, we kind of keep rolling the same pace, and it, and it, but there's some stuff that, to get excited about, you know, what we're going to be doing and how we're going to be doing it. So, you know, Trevor, you want to kick it off? Just kind of, you know, what's your biggest excitement, excitement about 2024? Just seeing where technology takes us in the automotive industry, mm-hmm. you know, not, not EV cars, but, you know, the tools. There's, there's so many great things that are coming out right now. I'm really excited. Uh, NADA next, next week. Yeah, yeah next week. Yeah, quick. You know, just seeing all those new products that come out, it's it's amazing. You know, so I'm I'm excited just to see that you know evolution that's been happening. Daryl, what you got for me? Oh, you want to go to you want to get Cameron? Okay, okay. Oh, <laughs> go ahead, Cam. Talk so much. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm excited today after our first day of the of the summit to hear about the engagement from all of our teams of getting a general manager involved because in the uh, in the workshop. The GM is key to the success. When they start seeing, hey, they're not selling any batteries, they're not doing any alignments, you get too many one-item ROs and things like that, and they see 500000 to a million dollars possible for their stores, that to me is exciting because we deliver, and we're going to have to, talking about what's going to happen in the future, we're going to have to steer them on what the best practices are. Yeah, we're, we're a leader to them telling them this is what we recommend, and they listen. And that's, that, for me... Having worked in other programs where you'd go in, train a service advisor, and the service manager wasn't involved, they didn't remember when you came back in three months later what you told them to do and what, what even their goal was. We now have that with our GMs, and I love the structure that we have, and I'm excited to make it better. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, that's probably one of the biggest things I'm excited about, you know, as far as the training aspect from my side and the conversations I get to have. and especially talking to owners and stuff like that is, is, is being able to relate it, you know, starting to talk about structures, starting to talk about things and, and make it relatable. I'm not asking you to be an expert in fixed ops. You don't have to be an expert in fixed ops. Just you being in the room sometimes. No question to ask. Yeah. You just, and, and how to ask questions to make it relatable. And so it's going to be a lot of fun for me to be, you know, be able to get more hands on with general managers, more hands on with owners mm-hmm. and, and saying it's not just somebody. I got a person for that. No, it, that's great that you have a person for that. But what can you do to support that person? 
not just stand over here, not just sign a paycheck. You know, there's some things you can look at that's relatable that we can put into you in, in front of you on a daily basis that can just revolutionize how you do your business. So, Jim, what you got for me? Well, one of the things that excites me is since, you know, since the, the COVID, COVID pandemic, yeah. uh, general managers, dealer principals especially, has seen that the service department, the fixed op, is not just a dark hole in the back of their building, yeah. uh, that there's an opportunity for some serious revenue back there. And the fact that Dynatron has all the tools that they need to succeed at that is just exciting to watch it flourish. Yeah, I mean, it's a partnership. you it know. Is. And I think, like, you brought up a good aspect of it, too. I mean, how many people at this table has seen a drastic change in communication customers because oh, yeah. of COVID? Oh, yeah. How many people have seen more and more mobile services start to yes. become a forefront QR of things? Yeah. You know, yeah, QR yeah. codes and things of that nature, which is a great QR code for the yeah. pod- podcast. <laughs> but, I mean, it's been interesting. It's exciting because it's not just a, we had to do this because of the pandemic. It's like, hey, actually, this kind of got a chance for us to get away from what we normally do. And now this is a new area for us. Changed. It's completely changed. It's a, yeah, so it's, it's fun to see how we can kind of work with them, how we can, you know, use the technology and run with it, too. And, and it's one of the things, you, you know, if you're not the lead dog, the view never changes. So, you know, always like to think outside the box, you know, and, and be on the leading edge of, of what's coming. Yeah, there's always got to be a better way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, not just saying the way you're doing now is wrong. It just, you, if you're not always consistently thinking, hey, there's got to be a better way. We can do this a little bit better. We can get a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So. As I said earlier today, every year, every four years, the Olympics, yeah. they set new world records. Who would believe that it's not going to stop? And it exactly. has never stopped. It never stopped. It never stopped. Right. never stopped. Absolutely. All right, I've given you plenty of time. Okay, Daryl, I've given you more than no, enough think, time I, here. I think in the uh, pandemic, I mean, the, when you think back to that year, and, and that kind of tipped me off on my thought process there, um, you know, looking into that year, you would have said, like, we're going to have to look at how we can make more money with less cars, you know, like price. And uh, we really got good at making sure that pricing was optimized over the last few years. And I think we're starting to see that little bit of shift where people are feeling that pressure where, you know, their price has increased and maybe they don't have that opportunity where we can increase that price. But GMs and owners, they still expect us to increase gross this year. So, I mean, this year is a year I think we got to take a step back and get good at all the other things, not just, you know, pricing and optimizing that. I mean, we got to look at one-line ROs in, in technician production and efficiency and, you know, opportunity, uh, maximizing opportunities on high-mileage vehicles, yeah. and, you know, all these other things that uh, we can't just keep increasing the price, but we're still expected to get that growth that we've got over the last years. So, I mean, that's, that's where that training is going to come in. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you just, I mean, and maybe embellish on that just a touch. I mean, you, you kept saying the word optimize. Right. So it's not just about, hey, well, you charge more, you make more. Yeah, that's easy math, you know, <laughs> but it's more of a so kind of walk in, walk through like your your understanding of that. Like, like if you're telling somebody we're going to price optimize, we're going to optimize this. Like, what's the kind of the message they get with your training? I mean, the, the maximum profitability that you can get without running off your customers. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, that's the way that I look at it. If if we're charging thirty dollars, but we look around and everybody's charging forty nine ninety five, there's no reason we can't be at forty nine ninety five. Um, and not run off our customers, you know what I mean? So it's, I mean, that would be optimizing your price, but um, we, we almost need to take a step back and use that word optimize to, uh, like, optimize your ROs. Yeah, yeah, you know I mean, yeah, like see? optimize every one of your every repair orders. Every, yeah, yeah. you've got an opportunity. I mean, F&I, you know, yeah. they, they sell a car, but the, the money, you know, a lot of that money comes from F&I, you know, Absolutely. maximizing that deal. That's, ROs need to be looked at the same way. You know, how can we how can we increase that RO value? The one really interesting thing we do in the workshop is <clears throat> we compare 
the opportunities between sales and service. We yeah. Put a sheet up that says, you know, you get an up where somebody tries to sell a car and we get an RO with an MPI. Yep. And in that situation, you realize that where is the key? The F&I department really did well with that. That's what we do when we do our yeah. decline services and things like that. So we have sure. to hit that, and that's what we do. I mean, we're out there, and you guys are out there coaching to it. We're out there training to it, and people don't always do it, but if they want to optimize, they've got to look at every option that's out every there because they're missing opportunities and we point them out and you point them out, they still sometimes stumble. Yeah. Well, convenience yeah. is key too, I think. I mean, we got to get better at write-up mm -hmm. process of presenting those opportunities because, I mean, really even, especially since COVID, customers are walking in and if you tell them it's going to be an hour for an oil change, an entire rotation, and then you come back at 45 minutes to sell them everything off the multi-point, they, I mean, they're expecting you to tell them their car's about done. You know what yeah. I mean? They're already looking yeah. at their phone, yeah. thinking about where they're going to go next. Window. Like they're already making their, they're already making their next plan for that day, you know, of where they're going to go. So, I, I mean, if those filters and, and all those different things that we recommend that are time and mileage related, I mean, we got to transition that to be a upfront conversation with the yeah. customer. Um, if we want to be successful personally, well, yeah, so like optimizing the customer's time. I mean, mm -hmm. let's I mean, let's face it. It's like going going to going to the dealerships, like going to the dentist. It feels like it sometimes <laughs> and things like that. So, well, guys, what I like to do at the end of the podcast as we start to wrap things up is any final thoughts, any final words, kind of rolling into twenty twenty four. I appreciate being invited. It's great being yeah. part of the team. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be exciting. Appreciate having us. It's going to be a fun ride. Great job. Yeah, absolutely. Got a bunch of stuff coming for you with the Fuel Podcast and. 2024 but that'll conclude this episode today gentlemen trevor daryl jim cameron and john <laughs> just, I'm missing. i got joe leclerc over here he's helping me produce this episode and i've been calling him john all week this feels fun okay all right till next time this is alex keep with the fuel podcast thank you guys again Thank you for joining another episode of the Fuel Podcast. Always be sure to like, follow, or subscribe to be notified when new episodes are being dropped. And click the link below to review any of the show notes for additional information. Or you can email the Fuel Podcast with the link as we encourage any feedback or any questions or comments from our listeners. Until next time, I'm your host, Alex Keyes, with the Fuel Podcast for fixing underperformance and evolving leadership.